morning, everyone. Am I on? Yeah, you can hear me okay? Seems all quite quiet this morning. Oh, that's more like it. Um, so at the risk of this being difficult, um, and uh, there are some visitors here, I just wanted to do, just honour Stephen Becky, really, um, and just to let you know that um, for those who don't know our story, Steve and uh, Becky and Maria and I have known them each other for probably 44 years. So Steve, Becky and I were at Dunham University at the same time as Maria was doing nursing there. And we knew Steve and Becky before they knew they loved each other. That's how long ago uh, we've known them. So it's always the worship that gets you, isn't it? And I was fine until the last song. Um, and I'm just saying that now because I might not be fine at some point when I'm saying this. Um, but that's the reason why. If you're just a visitor here thinking, is it normal for people to be in tears when they stand talking? You know, I mean, it might be normal for the congregation to be in tears listening to someone, but it's, it might be a bit unusual the other way around. So, um, so grab the first slide, Nikki, and thanks for standing in this morning, by the way. Uh, and we'll have the next one as well. Uh, so we're not looking at a kind of, you know, disembodied heart on the side there. Um, so the... The subject I felt um, God put on my heart this morning was, was kind of open the eyes of my heart, Lord, but that's where we'll get to. Um, and all will become clear, hopefully, in, in the next few minutes. Um, you will know what this is. You know, it's our galaxy. It's um, the Milky Way. Um, and can we just have the next slide, Nikki? And on the news last week, um, there was a piece. I don't know whether anybody uh, picked up on this or not. But this is an image of what is called the William Herschel Telescope. Anybody? Yeah, one, one or two people caught up on this, yeah. Um, so obviously watch the news just towards the end of it. Anyway, this is, um, astronomers are really, really genuinely excited about that and what that can do. And they were celebrating the commissioning of this telescope in uh, La Palma in the Canaries. And it's a very significant piece of engineering that will be able to map the fingerprint of millions of stars in our galaxy in order to piece together how they think the Milky Way was made. And I won't go into the science because, frankly, I don't understand it. But basically, it's like every star has a particular finger, chemical, um, elemental fingerprint. And this telescope will be able to fix on every individual star and create a fingerprint for that star, a bit like having a little piece of DNA from each star. And by piecing that together, they'll understand how the galaxy uh, came together. But I was struck by what the BBC correspondent said, and he said this, the work of the telescope will be like lifting the veil on the cosmos and uncovering the deep secrets of the Milky Way by revealing the path of millions of stars in the night sky. It will give astronomers the big picture of how our galaxy came into being. And the phrase there was lifting the veil, because that's exactly what I've been thinking about um, over the last few weeks. Uh, because I've recently been reading through 1 and 2 Corinthians again, and I was struck by the way in which Paul uses the image of the veil to describe going from darkness to light, from ignorance into understanding, from things promised to things realized, from anticipation 
to reality. A bit like having your Christmas present wrapped and you think you know what it might be or you might have no idea. All you can do is see, you can only see the wrapping paper around the present. But when you rip the paper off, what's inside becomes revealed. So could we dive to the next slide, please, Nikki? And this is the passage I just want to have a, a look at and make um, three points. But before we do that, this is the word of God. So should we just pray together? Okay. And I just invite you to specifically engage with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, and not with me or these words. He is the great teacher. He is the one that makes the difference in our lives. So as we come to your word, Jesus, we honor your word. Teach us to love your word. May it increasingly become wonderful food for our lips so that we can feast on the truth of what you say. And we pray, Father, just speak to us in every, um, every way you choose to do with every single person here this morning. And as we come to your word, may even just the reading of this prompt something in our hearts and our spirits that causes us to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul says this, and this is found in 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, and it's verses 12 to 18. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. He's talking about the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses has read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Isn't that great news? I mean, just think about that for a second. As you turn to the Lord, that veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, we're just going to unpack that with three points. Next slide, please. Moses and the Old Covenant. You, you notice verse 12 starts with a therefore. And of course, the therefore all mean, always means something's come before that. Um, and you can read that. But the problem is very easy. Um, uh, it, Paul uses quite complicated arguments and I didn't want to go into all of that because he's trying to set up the whole scene in order to make his point. And that is, in Christ, the veil is taken away. But he sets the scene by talking about Moses. Um, and the, in order to understand that, we need to understand what, what was this reference to this fading glory? Well, it was because uh, in the Old Testament, very briefly, God started building his kingdom, his family, through Abraham, a man he called, and then Abraham's family. 
And that Abraham's family became Isaac, and then we had uh, Jacob, and then we had Joseph, and, and the families grew, and they, 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 they families acquired other families. And all of a sudden, from one man, Abraham, a nation was born, a people group was created as a consequence of that one call and that one promise to a very old man who was beyond having children, who miraculously God gave a family to. So right at the very start, God's divine intervention in choice and enabling that to happen developed into a people group. And that people group, Israel, were were in a a country that was uh, uh, struck by a long famine. They were desperate for food, so they moved to Egypt where they had food. And then uh, in Egypt, they were there for a long time. They prospered. They became more numerous and they became stronger and they became more wealthy amongst themselves to the point that Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt at the time, the, the, the head person in, in Egypt, um, was concerned about the growth of Israel as a people group within his country. Moses then was born and his job was to deliver Israel out of Egypt. And so there was a lot of battles and discussions and high-level conferences and and international uh, meetings between Moses and Pharaoh. And Moses was saying, God's saying, Pharaoh, you've got to let my people go. You've got to do it. Pharaoh was saying, I'm not going to do it. Moses saying, you've got to do it, or there'll be consequences. Pharaoh said, I'm not going to do it. And there were consequences. And the plagues, you'd be familiar with the plagues ending in the death of the firstborn. Pharaoh said, go, you've got to go. And so the first amazing, incredible act of deliverance that was part of the foundation of Israel's history was the exodus through the Red Sea and leading the people through the wilderness. That defined, that was the first early definition that God, Yahweh, God Almighty was saying, this is my people. And he was, uh, Moses led the people under the power of God through the Red Sea into the wilderness. That was the first significant event in, in the formation of Israel as a nation. Second most significant event was when God gave Moses the law. And you can read about all of this more in uh, Exodus chapter 19, 20 and, and beyond that. And this is where we start to get to our passage this morning. Moses spent so much time with God up Sinai, the mountain where God spoke to him, that when he came down, his face radiated the glory of God. Can you imagine that? I mean, there was something which wasn't just, wow, you've been on holiday and you've got a bit of a suntan. It was sufficient enough to scare the Israelites when they saw him because they recognized that he had been in contact with Yahweh, who was just so much bigger, so much greater. Even though Yahweh, God Almighty, had uh, provided amazing miracles over the last you know, many, many decades in the life of Israel, Moses came down and they were scared. And because they were scared, he put a veil across his face. He put something on in order to hide the glory of God from the people because it scared them so much. Um, and even though we come to um, our passage, again, where Paul says Moses' glory started to fade, it is a bit like having a suntan, isn't it? You know, you have a suntan, you come back from holiday, 
Um, I know we not, not, shouldn't be talking about suntans now. We should all have very white uh, protected skin. But in the past, when we were less um, educated about these things, you come back from holiday, you think, oh, tan looks great, um, if you like that kind of thing. But, you know, if you're a man, after you've shaved a few days, it seems to start fading. And, you know, it take, you know, you take all that time. And some people, I love the sunshine, I love the outdoors, but I'm not someone who's going to... Um, turn myself over every 15 minutes so every square inch of available flesh, perish the thought, is the same colour as every other square inch on your body, even where... You know, do you know the people, don't you? They, they look like they've just been completely dipped in suntan um, and come out exactly the same all over the place. I mean, I'd have a bit on here, a bit on here, a bit on my face. And if you're cycling, a bit on the front of the legs, a bit on the back of your legs, and ridiculous T-shirt white body. Um, but even if you were proud of that, after a while, the glory goes pretty quickly. It fades. And so it was with Moses. So um, there were pretty, some pretty miraculous interventions of God on behalf of Israel in the Old Testament, weren't there? And God still is at work today. But sometimes you might think, you know, Shouldn't we see more of that now? Shouldn't we see more of the miraculous intervention of God? When you read through what God did, actually, unequivocally, right in the eyeline of everybody else for Israel, you say, come on, Father, we need some of that today, perhaps. We'll come back to that in a second. So that's Moses. That's the context. So when Paul talks in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12, when he says, therefore, he's in the middle of that kind of setting the scene about what happened in Israel's history and Moses encountering the glory of God, but over time that glory began to fade. Grab the second point. second point is this. That was Moses in the Old Covenant, but Paul is really not concerned about that. He's only using Moses in the Old Covenant to point to Jesus and the New Covenant. Verse 16, what, a, what an amazing verse. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Hallelujah. I mean, just think about that for a second. Becoming in Christ, which is what Paul uses, the term he uses to describe that, means being completely associated with Jesus, the crowning prince of glory in whom there is light, peace, power, forgiveness, hope, healing, friendship, purpose, family, fulfillment, and on and on and on and on. The veil is removed, and as soon as you step into Jesus, you are completely tied up with him. It's not just an arm's length relationship. It's not like you just hold hands with Jesus or link arms, it, or he walks beside you during life. You are in Christ. If you are a Christian here this morning, do you know that all of his glory, all of he is, is available to you because you are in Christ. Is that incredible? Is that incredible? Yeah. Now, if I was Mike, you'd say, come on, come on, <laughs> come on. If I he's saying, come on, come on. But it is true. The veil has been removed. We move from darkness into light. Um, can we have the next slide, Nikki, please? Ah, right, okay. It's, no, go back a sec. I, I had a slide with nothing on. I mean, I, the slide had nothing on. I didn't mean I had nothing on. <laughs> um, have you ever been 
in real darkness. I mean, real darkness. Many years ago, um, uh, Maria and I went for a holiday into the Pyrenees to do some walking, and we stayed in a place called Tola, which is on the south side of the Pyrenees, northern Spain. A tiny little village, thousands of miles up in the sky. No light pollu uh, pollution at all. Um, and actually not many lights in the house, really. It was a little place, and it had shutters on the windows. So we went to bed, and we closed the shutters, and it was darkness you could taste. There was absolutely no difference between your eyes being open and your eyes being closed. You could have your eyes open and concentrate as much as you want, and you could put your hand here, and you couldn't see your hand. That's darkness. When we come into Jesus, we go from that kind of darkness into the glorious sunshine. It's not just a little step that might make a little difference. It makes all the difference in the world. It's light years in separation from who you are outside of Jesus as to who you are inside of Jesus. That's the glory of the gospel. It's moving from being blind to seeing, being dead to being alive, from being guilty to being forgiven, from being in fear to living in freedom. When the veil comes off and we walk into Jesus, Paul talks in 2 Corinthians about, it is for freedom Christ has set us free. It's freedom. That's what the veil, that's, so Paul's using this example as, um, you, know, um, uh, you know what a veil is like? Well, this is an example of what the truth is. Understand the truth for the, uh, you know, as you understand the example. And as I was thinking about this, you remember when, uh, it, when Jesus was on the cross and he died, and there's that story in, in um, Matthew, Matthew's gospel, uh, it's, uh, Matthew 27 verse 50 following. Matthew was, of all the gospel writers, the one who was most keen to prove that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophetic strand of in the Old Testament that was all about leading up to one who would come to save them and the world. Matthew was the one who's... And so uh, it was Matthew that then says, at the point at which Jesus gave up his last breath, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Now, I've heard people in the past talk about, oh, do you know this curtain? Massive, massive curtain, huge wide, tall, weighed a ton, really thick. The power of God came and split it down the middle. Um, and fair enough, but frankly, I don't really care about that because, you know, God was just about to raise Jesus from the dead. I don't think a bit of cloth was going to bother him too much. Splitting a bit of cloth is not going to stress him out when he's going to raise Jesus powerfully from the dead and empower a community of saints that were then going to change the world and bring in his kingdom, who are going to demonstrate his love and his kindness and his generosity to the world. You know, so splitting a bit of cloth is not, is, not, is, not really, is not really a problem. And I was also thinking about this. Uh, two weeks ago, we were in Liverpool with uh, James Lou and the family. We went to St. Barnabas, uh, which is uh, one of the Holy Trinity Brompton plants that have taken on an old... Anglican Church renewed it uh, absolutely beautifully. It's, it's great, fantastic work going on there. And I just sat there in the main bit of the church, and then, you know, you have 
where the altar is and you have the bit behind. And I just thought, you know, what would it be like? We can't picture that here, really, um, in the same sort of way. If all of God was behind a big curtain halfway down the church and you had no opportunity to get there. Or we had a big curtain here in front. And you could do things there, sort of on your own. You know, we could do things, you know, fiddling around, working out what to do. But actually, all the action was in here, but you couldn't come in. That's what Jesus did for us. He said, you know what? The doors are wide open. Walk in to my presence. Walk in to my goodness. And I also... Um, before we just come on to the last point, I always knew, I, I guess, that the curtain of the temple was torn in two at the point that Jesus died. But somehow the significance of it hit home more than it ever had done before. Because we think about the death and resurrection of Jesus as being in the defining part, what brings our salvation. Do you know what? Our forgiveness was won the moment Jesus died. Our forgiveness wasn't, don't, don't hear me wrong, our forgiveness not, was not won when he was raised from the dead. Our forgiveness was won when the pure, perfect, beautiful, spotless lamb of God shed his blood for us. That's when forgiveness was poured out on us all. His resurrection was God's endorsement that he is my son and I am entering a new age in the world full of power, full of the people of God who are going to bring my glory to the ends of the earth. You might have got that already. <laughs> it was just something that kind of, you know, um, landed with me last week. And of course, um, uh, very shortly afterwards, and, you know, we've covered this in Peter's, you know, first sermon in Acts 2, um, he says this, it was inevitable that Jesus would be raised from the dead because Peter says it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Hallelujah. It was impossible for death. It wasn't that there was a fight going on, really. Actually, genuinely, there was no contest because it was impossible for death who created life in the first place for him to be snuffed out. I mean, impossible. It's wonderful. So Jesus and the new covenant. Last point, fighting the good fight. So this is where I think it comes down to us here and now today. Because, uh, next slide. This is, thanks Nikki. Look at this for a second. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Anybody know who said that? Jesus said it. Jesus said it just before his death. And it kind of stopped me in, his, in my tracks, really. Uh, he thought, well, wow, what a warning. You know, we've come. He knew what was coming. We come into this glorious life. We have this amazing revelation of who Jesus really is. And yet the pressure of the world. It's the same, isn't it, for the parable of the sower? 
that, you know, the lots of seed, lots of growth, but actually it's not all the seed that grows that, that then goes on to bear fruit. I think Jesus is saying, just re-emphasizing that point. Paul urges Timothy to fight the good fight of faith and take hold of eternal life to which you were called. If there wasn't a fight to be fought, if you see what I mean, then it would be easy, wouldn't it? Somehow we'd just sail along on the calm sea of forever Christianity and there'd be no challenge, no wind, no storms, no buffeting. But life is not like that because God's called us to be in the world. So even though we have the veil removed as we step into Jesus, we have to keep a hold of that. We have to... uh, we have to keep growing in our faith in order for us to be as effective as God wants us to be. And I also noticed there, um, increase of wickedness. What Jesus was referring to there was the times that people live in. And we know the times that we live in now. They are um, concerning times. There are times where, and we've mentioned it before, you know, the impact and the legacy of, uh, in some people, of, of the, the COVID response has meant quite a different change into saying, I think I can do this from home. I can do it my way. I can organize my life so I can do lots of things and everybody else can be organized around that. But there has easily become an, um, a kind of self-centeredness around the way that we structure our lives. And do you know what happens when that happens? Or do I know what happens with me? it's very easy then to start being more negative than being positive about things. We find ourselves perhaps being more dissatisfied than excited about things. Easy to become sucked into the world. But you know, we need to be aware of these things so that we can stand against them. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. And do you know how we do that? We do that by coming to him. Tom Wright, I've just been reading through um, Colossians uh, with uh, Paul for Everyone, which is a, it's almost like a daily thing. I mean, we'll be talking about Colossians later on, but um, he says there's one of the main things Paul longs for new Christians to realize is what is already true of them in Christ. So when we're stepping into him, when we're seeking to learn from him, what we're doing is learning about what is already true. We're not having to fight for anything. He's fought and won. It's there. It's like having a massive treasure chest in front of us, which is full of treasure. It doesn't become full of treasure as we start fighting. It's already there. It's already present for us to take a hold of. Grab the next slide, Nikki. Thank you. Yeah, so Paul says this. Uh, to the uh, Ephesians. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Do you know, it's, it's really important that here at King's we do things the best we possibly can. It's really important that we do good governance. It's really important that we run the services to the community that we do do in a way that honors Jesus. But you know what's even more important than that? It's more important for us as individuals to be tuned into Jesus, to be aware of what the real miracle is 
you know, we prayed for Becky. We will continue to pray for all sorts of circumstances. And from time to time, in his sovereignty, God will intervene. But let's not either be too excited or too depressed about the outcomes of those because God has a world for us to to have an impact on. The biggest miracle of all, you just imagine what it would be like, even the church of God as it is now, with every single person hungry for Jesus and reaching out with his love and his care into the world, changing people's lives, bringing them to the truth, having an impact in society, being a positive voice. But so often we can be deceived or we can be sidetracked. Oh, I didn't quite like the way we did that this morning. Or I'm not sure about um, the lighting. Or do you know what I mean? Unless it's only me. But I know it isn't. Or church isn't quite what it was. And we hark back to the past. Do you know that every time we do that, we're stopping the power of the Holy Spirit working through our lives in what he's got for me to do today. What what do you want me to do today? And it's about coming back to him. So back finally to the BBC article. It says this. It went on to say that everyone involved in the project believed that this telescope, the William Herschel telescope, would lead to a big shift in our understanding of how galaxies are made, which is great, science, amazing. And I felt God saying to me this morning, we need to open the eyes of our hearts. When we stepped into Jesus, there was not just a big shift, there was an everlasting shift. And he wants us to draw close to him. I'm just ask Mike to come up on his own. Would you want to sing... Uh, as we pray. And I'm just, I'm just going to ask you, as I've asked myself and continue to ask myself, is are you more in love with Jesus today than you've ever been before?